Hey everyone, I'm Jonathan. And I'm Jeremy. We are the Evangelicals. Hey everyone out there in podcast land, welcome to another episode of the Evangelicals. Today, we are going to have a conversation that we're not we're not sure where it's going to land, which if you listen to us often, you're probably thinking to yourself, well, what's new? This is a terrible <laughs> introduction. You're just doing the same thing you do every time. Thanks for stating the obvious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're going we're gonna to talk today about God. Shocker. The, <laughs> we're going we're gonna to talk about God in the sense of like, what... <clears throat> What actually is God, and what? How do we? How do Jeremy and I th- imagine and think about God acting in the world? Mm-hmm. And and the way the the setup to this conversation is is coming from a thought uh, in a book that I was reading, but Jeremy's been reading on his own as as he's been on sabbatical, um, and just just you know in this culture moment, we we're just thinking about a lot of different things. That Mark Knoll, the historian from Notre Dame, said that in early Puritan America, the early colonists that were Christian at least, understood God to be running running the world, and preachers were the authority, kind of the mouthpiece of God and that running of the world. And, and so they were the, the authoritarian figures on earth were the preachers, and God was the, was the force that was running the show. And there came a shift in America... Uh, particularly in the religious and conservative conservative American religion, conservative American Christianity, where there was a shift to politicians became the authority and government and politics became the force behind what would happen in America. Essentially, uh, so he he writes this book called America's God. And uh, I think that the, the, I'm not finished with it, but I, but my sense of what he's doing is that he's saying, you know, Americans have kind of idol, have, have made an idol, an idol out of politics, you know, and they, um, they say, you know, that this is, this is God, you know, or, or not, they say this is God, um, politics, politics become, uh, the vehicle by which they justify their their religious religious beliefs and and the thing is we see this happening yeah. in America today and it's really a quite compelling you know story that he's telling so the reason that I say this at the beginning of the at the beginning of the podcast is today we're going to talk a little bit we'll probably talk a little bit about the gun issue and the 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 gun debate that's going on uh, as you're listening to this episode I want to ask you the question I want you to be thinking in your mind how do I imagine God working in the world like, how is God working in the world? Who is God? Because really, what you understand about God shapes much of your religious devotional life. So who do you expect God to be? So like, there are people, for example, there are people that understand God to be someone who does um, does good things for them when they're good and punishes them when they're bad. And so, you know, their prayer life looks like, Lord, you know, make this good thing happen for me. And if the good thing doesn't happen for them, they feel like they're not in a right relationship with God. They don't have an understanding of God, that God is a God of equity, that he causes the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous and the sun the same, right? Jesus says at multiple points, you know, nobody sinned that this happened. This isn't a yin and yang thing or a, 
um, a karma thing. This isn't a karma thing. Like that's not how this, the world does not work necessarily on a kind of a karma system, but we all have different understandings of who God is. And that, that does shape our spiritual life and the way that we perceive the world and the way that we perceive God acting in the world. And so this is, we're, we're, we're talking today just about this, this idea of, of how God is interacting in the world and interacting uh, in us. And w- one of the things that, that I'll say before I, I realize I'm kind of hogging the mic here at the beginning. You're doing great, man. One of the things that's, as I've been reading the Bible now, asking the question, who do I perceive God to be? I'm realizing that actually a lot of the Bible is the Bible trying to convince me as a religious person that God works in ways that I don't expect. This is actually a theme that is like in the, so like Jonah is a, is a story about how God not only works through a guy who doesn't want him to work through Like Jonah does not want any part of God redeeming the Ninevites. Right. But God says, Hey, I'm, this is a thing that I want to do. That's not on anybody else's radar. And I'm going to use you to do it. And, and I'm going to, and I'm going to do something that all the religious people don't want to happen. I'm going to save the Ninevites. Their enemies. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and, and and potentially the reason Jonah hates the Ninevites is a political understanding is because they were the enemies of Israel. Um his yes. country. <laughs> so he didn't right. want them to he didn't want God why would God show favor to them when when they were uh against or potentially um a, a threat to to their way of life. Um, I, I think that, that people use the Bible a lot to, to, to support. Uh, we've seen this through politicians, but they really love when they're trying to get something across. They love the Romans 13 passage about how government is good. The authorities and, that exist have yeah. been established by God is Romans 13. Absolutely. And it seems to be the go-to to get, if I'm saying something and I want you to support what I'm saying, it doesn't matter if it matches up with the rest of the Bible or not. Um, so I feel like that that we are living in a time where for sure um, we, we want God to bless what we're doing rather than us trying to understand what God would have us to do and who he would have us to be. It seems like we reverse the roles. I think a lot of I don't know who said it exactly, um, but it's attributed, I think, to several people where God created us in his image and then we returned the favor and created him in ours or something to that effect that we are making God into what we want him to be rather than us trying to form our life to him. And I think that happens a lot of times. You talk about reading the Bible. You kind of made me laugh. It's like when I when I'm starting to read the Bible, or when I'm reading the Bible now, it's like yeah. you haven't been your whole life. But maybe I, I feel like well, you yeah, were yeah, saying, yeah. Yeah. saying you're reading it maybe differently through a different lens. That's, um, that's what I should have said, Jeremy. Right? <laughs> it's like wow, it's He's great like, that you're, you're a reading, pastor. It's you great that you're read reading the Bible. The Bible. <laughs> Man, book. you should have gotten on the, on that train a long time ago. <laughs> but I think that. That, that a discipline we need to recapture is not just that we read the Bible, but we need to allow the Bible to read us. And wow. I, I think that that to view it as a mirror rather than an intellectual exercise to be attained to gain knowledge so that I can just know more about what yeah. the Bible says. And I feel like we don't do that a lot. And, and we, we so we pick the passages that, that we try to shape and form that build up my idea rather than just allowing the scripture to truly um, dive deep into my heart and my life. And, and I feel like when we neglect to do that, 
we can make the Bible say whatever we want the Bible to say, rather than actually letting the Bible say what it wants to say. So, to that point, when in reading the New Testament right now, one of the things that I'm realizing is that Jesus is not who the religious people want him to be. Mm. And so, one of the things that I think is important for me as I'm reading the Bible right now is to recognize in humility, Jesus might not be who I want Jesus to be either. Because mm. I'm pretty religious. Yeah. Seriously, I mean, my life is bolstered by the by a religious institution, right? You know, that has political ties. You know, absolutely. I mean, so, so if I'm if I am reading the text, and Jesus is at every turn affirming my identity mm. and not critiquing me, it's probably more than likely that I'm not reading the text correctly. Yeah. Honestly, you know? Right. I, I think that you mentioned one strain of thought or understanding about how we view God. I think a lot of the political system has reverted to almost a Gnostic understanding of that we believe in God. We just don't believe he's very involved in our everyday lives and now. involved in now. Yeah. So he's he's somewhere, but he is wow. detached. He doesn't. So therefore I don't need to like he he he's just so it's up to us maybe is what I'm trying to say that we have to figure this out we have to 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 come up with the laws we have to come up with the way the path forward cuz we don't believe God is active and involved and interacts with our everyday goings and comings. Um, You're saying that that's the Gnostic understanding. I believe that's, that's as, as I understand Gnosticism, yeah, it's not that you don't believe in God. Sure, you sure, just sure. don't believe that he is actively involved in, in what we do and say every day. And you feel like that's that people are, people kind of understand God that way. Some in the world today. Absolutely. Well, so, one of the and so let's say that you're right, and let's say that is the case. One of the things that is also very, very frustrating to me, and I think to probably many of you listening to the podcast, is that with that, if that is the case, when we think about God, we have we have polarized reality mm. to left and right. Mm. Seriously, we have divided. We have divided our reality between left and right, and. We have made, we're, we say, you know, you have to make a decision. You're left or right. Particularly in the United States, you're Republican or you're Democrat. And you have to be on one side of the fence. And if you're on the fence, there's something very pathetic or weak about being on the fence. You know, get off the fence, you know. Well, my thing to people who want to criticize me for someone who sits on the fence, because I would, I'll just say it right now, I'll say it out loud right now. If, if reality must be divided between left and right politically, then I will, I will live my life on the fence because I can, I, I have major issues with both major political parties sure. for good Christian reasons. I'm not going to talk about them all right now, but, but I, I, I think that it, in our current system, I think that there are reasons to be very upset at either political party. And I think that if you live into one, if you live into one too much, it's to your own detriment. Yeah. Because you, because you, then you become insular and you're not able to look critically at the world. Um, okay, so I, I, I will, I will say that. Um, and I think that you, you are to me affirming that Jesus has nothing to say in the midst of because now you have said I'm right or left or you have to be right or left. 
And Jesus was always offering a third way, a different way of living in the world. And so if you are doggedly saying you have to be this or that, then you are, I think, affirming what I believe to be true sometimes is that we don't care what Jesus says. We just care what those political ideology and agendas say about our lives and how we should live. Yeah. <laughs> I have, I've just, so, um, so many thoughts. I don't want to, I don't want to get off, off track. Let's, so one of the things that we were talking about leading into recording the podcast is today is, um, the situation with guns, which, Okay. I think everybody can just agree to this. Guns are not a political issue. They're not a political issue. A gun is a gun. Like it's not a like. There's nothing political. There's nothing democratic or republican about a gun. We have the Second Amendment in the United States that was a law that was written so that people who were used to living in a society where British soldiers could punk could be punks and walk around. you know, and do whatever they wanted because they, by, by force, uh, you know, we, we have this law that people can carry guns and own guns. Mind you, those guns that they were carrying in 1776 had almost as high of a risk as hurting them as the person that they would fire at, by the way, you know, you had to reload. We weren't doing, you know, you know, but it's, it's interesting. Like a gun is a gun. Nothing that I have said so far is political. Nothing that I've said is about Democrat or Republican. It's just the fact of the matter. We live in a country that our imagination is shaped by a right to own guns. We just do. Like, that's our reality. We live there. There's nothing political about it. And our lust for guns and our production of guns gives us a situation in which insane people are getting a hold of guns and are shooting innocent people. There, I've not said anything political. I'm just saying what is like what is the situation, right? Sure. But um but particularly for Christians, as we're talking about what to do, it seems like the language that we're using to talk about it just goes right to politics. Yeah. Like, well, well, here's what you know, here's what we should here's here's the legislation that we should pass. Whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I'm not, I'm a Christian first. Like, I'm a kingdom of God person. I'm not, in all of the areas of my life, when I have a problem, I don't think to myself, oh man, I got to get the American government involved. But like, for some, somehow we have this major problem and our first, our first thought is Congress has got to take care of this one. And, but that, and that just should be indicative to us that we should recognize that we we live in a reality in our minds where the God, the one that is, if you could see me, I'm, I'm holding up quotes, the God, um, the thing, the power, the force that makes change happen on the ground is, is government, is politics. Like we ought to recognize that we live, that that is the system that we live in. But what if, what if God is, is, is as annoyed with the inadequacy of the American government as, as all of us should be. What if God wants to do something in the church, you know? But uh, the problem is, we, we if we, you know, when people start talking like that, that God would want to do something in, despite in spite of government, you know, people get upset at that because we have been selling people the story for so long that what what got what happens with the government is God's will, you know. So I think this is what frustrates me about 
like like what you're talking about is what frustrates me about the conversation is in the church we can't have a conversation about what does it mean to be a christian in res- in in relation to guns and what does it mean to be a christian who is seeking a kingdom where wolf and lamb lie down together and and cow and bear eat grass together like if that's the image that is given to us about what this kingdom looks like we can't have an honest conversation about what does it mean to be a christian in relation to guns because it does always get to well we have the second amendment and we have this and we have that and and i just wish that we could have better conversations about what does isaiah mean in isaiah 2 when he talks about beating swords into plowshares what does it mean in Isaiah 11, once again, the wolf and the lamb lying together. What does it mean when Jesus says, love your enemies? What does it mean when in Romans 12, which is before Romans 13, that he says, do not overcome evil with evil, but overcome evil with good. How do we have those conversations? And we, I think, first have to understand what does it mean to be a Christian who has a gun or who owns a gun, or what does that look like in our relationship with guns before we get to then what do we need to do about it? And unfortunately, we never have that conversation because we are so quick to jump to legislation and so quick to jump to, well, this is what the Constitution says and this is what this says. And and I feel like we as the church have no voice because the voice that comes from the church just plays into whatever political yeah. understanding is happening rather than trying to really understand that if the Bible is to read us, if we are to really allow Scripture to form us and shape us, how do we have different conversations about those things and then bring that conversation to the world rather than just slipping into all of the other cyclical conversations that 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 lead nowhere and we just talk in circles over again and again and again and again because it's based on how you, oh, sorry, how you interpret the Constitution and how I interpret the Constitution rather than saying, yeah, but what is Jesus and what does God call us to um, with with all of this stuff? And what is what does it mean to be um, the hands and feet of Jesus in relation to all of these issues? I think that part of the problem with the with the gun conversation is that we uh, I was so I was reading in James last week and James. James is a real is We've we've talked about James before. We did a full podcast on James. Remember that? Yeah. Um, James is convinced that one of the highest uh, goals or maybe results of Christian faith is the development of character. Mm. That's that's kind of part, a big part of James. That the the writer of James wants you to live your life in such a way that you are shaped like Jesus and that you look like Jesus and that you pervert you persevere in hardship so that you become like Jesus. And I think that one of the one of the things that's interesting to me is in this conversation about you know government solving the gun problem is that it, it appears to me um, that a majority of these students and young people that are getting guns they're getting them you know from uh their homes or from uh uh parents or grandparents you know and the question that i that i've been asking myself is you know how does this does this gun conversation how does it shape my own character Mm. and my own 
my own response. I had a I had a guy uh, two weeks ago, just point blank asked me. He said, "You own a gun?" I said, "I don't. I don't. I don't own a gun." He said, "Well, why not?" And I said, "Well, quite honestly, you know that that reason has been different. You know, at different times in my life, but the reason right now is." A couple years ago, I was at the hospital the, to the day a uh, uh, parishioner's son took his life in front of him with his own with his dad's gun. I just kind of made a resolution that day at the hospital that my child would never have that opportunity. Well, that ended that conversation pretty quickly. <laughs> <laughs> but the thing is, there was nothing political about it. Right. There's nothing political about that answer. Right. Nothing. Right. It's just, it's just like spiritually in me, right? Like in my own character, in my own development. I mean, I, you know, so the, the question becomes, the question becomes, uh, well, what are you going to do if somebody breaks into your house? Honestly, Jeremy, I don't live my life. I do not shape my right life waiting for a moment that I don't know is going to happen. Seriously, right. like in any other situation, like, because Jeremy, I have faith in God, yeah. right? Like I have faith in God and my life is God's. So I don't live my life shaped by the fear of, you know, what might, what might happen, you know? Um, and there are some people that listen to this podcast and may say, you know, that's not, that's not wise or prudent, you know? Um, and I would, I would say that we are we are still 250 years later 40 some years later we are still culturally shaped by a fear of self defense mm. that that shaped the giving of the the second amendment i don't i don't personally really have a problem with with the second amendment in principle with the idea of people having the freedom to own guns and this type of thing but as a christian um i just in my own life i recognize i have to square my own ethics and my own morals with one day when I stand before God. I don't know that any version of the judgment Jesus ever said that God's going to ask you the question, did you follow the U S constitution? Mm. Well, if that were part of the judgment, then it's really unfair to billions and billions of people because <laughs> right. only 330 million of us right. actually live under the auspices of the U S constitution. <laughs> right. you know? Everybody else in the world has different rules. You know? Yeah. It really is good news for everybody, not just for America. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, I think that, that as, so like I said, it I really does tend to boil down to, like, like you said, how you interpret the Constitution. And I feel like we, you know, is it a static document or does it, does it need to have some interpretation and, and, and understanding? And, you know, I think that if the Founding Fathers saw the type of guns that we might have today, they probably would have um, freaked out in a big, big way. Like, I don't think that they could have foreseen the type of, of, of guns and stuff that we would have for the, for people to own. And then people say, well, it's for the militia in case the government does something. Well, that didn't work out very well in the civil war when they decided they were going to go against the government. Like they got squashed, you know, the South, there's just no way. Because um, I've heard that argument too. Is like, well, if the government owns it, we should own it. And I'm like, you, we need nuclear codes. Like everybody needs to have like access to tanks and fighter jets. And Do we not recognize that there's nothing glorious about the Civil War? <laughs> like, Jeremy, there's nothing glorious about the Civil War. 
Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. It was the bloodiest loss of human life in, in American history. Yeah. It was terrible. Yeah. So I, I, I feel like, once again, those, those, those conversations are just cyclical. Like, you just, you can't get anywhere, which is why I think we need to try to end the church, have a different conversation. What does it mean that Jesus is Lord? How do we, how do we order our lives? How do we live with loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves. How do we view people not from, um, you know, you, you talked about living in fear. I feel like it really boils down to this idea of, do we, do we believe there's enough for everybody or do we have a scarcity understanding of, of, of what's available? And, and I, I have to make sure nobody can take mine. Um, so I think it's, but, but God calls us to live abundantly and graciously and, and giving and um if you have two you should give to the one that doesn't have any um and 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 once again that's that's the conversation i wish we could have Jeremy, is, I, I feel like i feel like the the other the other scripture is that is the is this idea of turning the other cheek yeah I mean, we do not want to talk about that in the church right jesus actually said if someone strikes you turn to them the other cheek and let them hit you again Jesus said that, you guys. Yeah, like, he actually, he actually said, when you get hurt by someone, let them hurt you again. Like we do not get that. That is, that's what Jesus said. And I really think that this was a way to to show power for what it was. That it was an, an understanding, not of just getting slapped around, but if somebody steals your thing or slaps you in the cheek, the way that you stand up because it's all about the right and the left and in jesus's time like and probably even still today like yeah, if, if you guys scary, if you got yeah will smith um if you guys slapped oh, no. on the i mean you know have we gone there yet have we talked about the slap did we ever talk i about don't know if we have or not but um <laughs> the the whole right and left was it was like this backhand which is a superior way a superior would hit an inferior and so jesus says if that happens give him your other cheek because then he has to hit you as an equal. Like he's got to look at you and punch you rather than backhand you like a, a, and so he was saying, okay, you hit me that way. That's awesome. But now I want you to look at me like you're not better than me that we're actually equal. And, and I think the whole cloak thing, like if somebody takes your cloak or coat, giving your cloak was, was like nakedness was more of an offense to the person viewing the, 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 the nakedness than it was even for the person that was naked. And so you are saying, okay, you want to take this, take this as two. And the offense is on the other person that, that you would steal everything that I have. Cause now I have nothing. And the whole backpack in the mile was, I think a Roman official could make you carry their backpack a mile, but no more. And so Jesus like go the second mile. Well, now if you're going that second mile, now they're coming after you because now they are going to be the ones who are. um, And so I feel like all that stuff was not to be um, a punching bag, but as Christians, the way that we um, bring down the powers or show power for what it actually is is not by trying to meet their force with equal force, but it was a different way that we are going to to speak into and to to try to dismantle those who may be trying to put down and and push aside. And so it was never let's power up and 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 fight the way that they're fighting. It was let's show um, and I and and my goodness, how do we miss this? That's what the cross is. Was that 
I'm not going to fight in a violent way, but I'm going to surrender to show the powers for what they actually are through this nonviolent means to show all those who come behind me, you no longer have to use those means to get ahead. But because of what I'm doing on the cross and through my death, I am saying no more. It is over. We are done fighting that way. And I feel like there's this propensity in our culture, in the world, potentially even, that we can't, we can't get rid of those things because it shows weakness. It shows that we are um, less than. And Jesus is like, no, but that's the only way to really win the hearts of the other people. And once again, I've been reading a lot, but that was the whole civil rights movement. The whole nonviolent movement was Martin Luther King was not just interested in them getting their freedom. He wanted to win the hearts of the white people because he knew that if they were truly going to be free, they had to have the heart of the country behind it as well. And not just a law that was on the book, but he had to change their heart to actually love them. And the only way to do that was to to not fight them because if all they did was perpetuate the violence that was being done to them, then it just would have escalated the situation. The only way to, to change America and to change the heart of people was to do it a different way. And once again, this is why I feel like in the church, we have got to have better conversations because I think it's the only, like, I think when Jesus said through Paul, like Christ in you is the hope of glory. Like the hope is that the church would be a different voice, yes. a different understanding. Yes. It's the only hope we have is not to just make more laws. Although I think that laws may need to change. You know what I mean? I'm not saying that that we just totally neglect that, but it's it's maybe even more important the heart from which the law comes from rather than just the law itself and trying to get something on the books. Because if we don't win the heart and, and allow God to, to transform us, then all we're doing is putting words on a piece of paper and nothing's ever really going to change. But if we can capture the heart of why we need to have this conversation about guns and what are they doing and what does it look like, we might could actually bring about change in the culture and I'm not saying that um, because I feel like people would be like, oh, you're just, so you're just saying nothing matters. It's just Jesus. Like, that's not what I'm saying at all. I think that we have to be involved and we have to, to engage, but we're engaging on the world's terms rather than on an understanding of who God has called us to be. And we have to, to, to understand that Jesus's way was not the world's way. Um, it was it was totally different. I don't know. I feel like I'm talking. Yeah. I, nonsense so right I now. I grew up. Um, my parents are their grandparents were Mennonite. My dad's, which were pacifists, um, that didn't didn't vote, didn't own um, guns for the sake of self defense and this type of thing. Would be very peace peace oriented. And I I have a lot of leanings that way, just um, by virtue of my own my own upbringing. Um, I, I would say though, one of my problems is, uh, is this idea that, uh, we need to be engaged politically. Uh, I, again, I take flack for this. And the thing is, I, I went to a, a conservative Christian university that was all about political action. And, um, the reason that I'm not in politics is because I'm convinced that pastoral ministry is actually, uh, 
more significant way to change the world than politics. And there are people that are listening. They're like, no, you're wrong. Pastor, <laughs> pastors are doofuses. You guys only work one day a week, you know? <laughs> um, but I, but I do, we, I asked the question at the beginning, who do you understand God to be? How do you perceive God? Mm. And there was a, there was a, uh, someone online this a uh, couple weeks ago who said we've something to the effect of we've sissified Jesus, we've made Jesus a sissy, and I think that we ought to recognize that there were people in the crowd that were pointing at Jesus and saying, "Look at you, you big sissy! Mm-hmm. You are a sissy! Yeah. You call yourself the Son of God, King of the Jews." It's what your sign says. And you're a sissy. You're getting, you're getting killed by hanging on a piece of wood on the side of the road. You are king of the sissies, right? I mean, and and we, you know, is it to Pilate that Jesus says I could call down ten thousand angels? But I'm I'm not, because this is what the kingdom of God looks like. Well, then he says. If my kingdom were of this world, my people would be in here fighting you right now, but my yes! kingdom is from a different oh! place. And it's, it's as if we've just taken that section out of the Bible. We've completely forgotten it. But for me, as I'm reading the New Testament in these days, it's like the, it's like the part of the Bible that is just sticking out to me. Yeah. Like, oh, I'm a part of Jesus's kingdom. The guy who gets penned to a cross the guy who says, if anyone would come after me, they must deny themselves, take up their cross and follow me. The guy who says, if someone strikes you on the right cheek, give him the other cheek also. Like, this, is, this is my God. The guy who doesn't have political power. The guy who is ostracized by the religious right of his time because he doesn't, he's actually not interested in overthrowing the Roman government. Apparently, his kingdom can coexist with Rome. And that's not sufficient for the religious leaders of his day. Yeah. You know? And... I believe it or not, like I, as a pastor, actually believe that if a Democrat's in office or if a Republican's in office, I can still do the thing that I've been called to do. I actually am convinced of that. I'm actually convinced that if we lose tax exemption in the church, we can still do what we need to do. Yeah. Like I'm, I'm just, I'm so over Christian politics, like politics of, um, I'm, I'm so over American politics as our root to solving, you know, the world's problems and kingdom come. I'm not, I'm just not convinced it's going to happen. And I only have so long of a life, you know what I'm saying? So I'm not giving my life to, I'm not giving my life to being convinced that legislation is the way we're going to solve our problems. I'm, I'm convinced that, you know, discipleship, uh, discipleship and uh, living into the kingdom of God reality that Jesus calls us to is, is our, is our way forward, which we're not going to be able to necessarily spell that all out completely in this podcast, but that's uh, that's just as far as imagining God and kind of this conversation of of guns and and how we're thinking about the world right now. That's kind of where I'm currently sitting. Wrap up, wrap, wrap us up, Jeremy. Give us a, give us a profound thought. And- <laughs> wow, no pressure there. <laughs> give us a profound thought. I think that it goes back to um, as the people of God, we've always struggled with this. It's not new. And when we allow the scripture once again to read our lives, we understand that the struggle that we're in is not something that God's taken by or surprised by, but it's something that we've always struggled with. It, it, I, once again, I think it could go back to Genesis 3, but the one passage I really want to hit on, I feel like is, 
is in First Samuel 8. Um, the people have been freed. They've seen God part a Red Sea. He's fed them in the wilderness. They've seen all of this stuff. And they get into the land that God has promised them. And they start looking at all the other nations. And they say, hey, why don't, hey, Samuel, why don't you give us a king like all the other nations? We want to be like them. Yeah. And, and this makes Samuel mad because, or upset. And he goes to God and he's like, what, what gives? Like, I, I'm trying to lead these people. Why do they want a king? Samuel was a judge, not a king. Yeah. And, um, and, and so, and there's this line that I think that, that we um, are so guilty of too, that God looks at Samuel and is like, don't be upset at them. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that as we live, we are very quick, whether you're Republican or Democrat, to say, man, if we could just get our president elected, then everything will change. And I, I, when I hear that, I hear the rumblings of give us a king like everybody else. Like if we could just get this leader in the White House, if we could just make this happen, then we'll, we'll, we'll be happy or then we'll get what we want. Um, and I think the whole point is God always wanted to be the one that was king to lead them in this, this revolution of saying, this isn't about setting up these earthly understandings of power and, 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 and might, but it's about you being a different people in the world and allowing me to be the thing that leads and guides you. And, and all of, I think, Leviticus and all of all these books that are sometimes hard to get through all these laws, I think the main point was getting at this understanding of, of the Shema, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, love your neighbor, is God was trying to help the people understand that what I'm calling you to do is to love me with everything, and I want to show you how you can best love your neighbor as yourself. And I feel like until we can have that conversation in the church, what does it really mean to love my neighbor um, with everything that I am? Wow. Until we can get to that conversation, the conversation about guns or whatever else you want to put in there, we're just going to talk in circles and we're never going to get at something that's really going to bring about change and healing and, and, and reformation because we care about our rights rather than what does it mean to really love my neighbor with everything that I am. And so we have to understand that to move to a different conversation, to have a better conversation, we got to let scripture read us and, and understand, are we rejecting, um, are we rejecting God as being the one that's leading and guiding us and, 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 and being the thing that, that pushes us and pulls us and shapes us to be different in the world? Um, have we rejected him as, as being the Lord and of our life with everything that we are and the ethic of loving him and loving our neighbor as ourself um, and, and really trying to have better conversations about what that looks like. Man, I want to have that conversation more and more and more. And right now I just don't feel like it's happening a whole lot. Evangelicals podcast is recorded at Lima Community Church of the Nazarene in Lima, Ohio. 